Okay, as, as I was saying, we finished Shmon Esri. So we're on page 61, after Shmon Esri, and that's the section that's called the Tachnon, right after Shmon Esri. Um, interesting connection to the Parsha of the week. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Achari Mois and Kedoshim. Achari Mois literally means after the passing, after the death. And it starts with, it was after the passing of the two sons of Aaron. So page 60, 61. Oh, okay. um, the Mishkan is finally built. The Mishkan is finally built, and it's um, it's Rish Chodesh uh, Nisan. Right? We know that, the, that there was a seven-day period where the Mishkan was every day put up and taken down. And then Rish Chodesh Nisan, the Mishkan was finally built. And this is great rejoicing in Klal Yisrael. And you have the two sons of Aaron, <laughs> Nadav and Aviu, that they go into the Mishkan and they mysteriously die. And there's all types of explanation of what, what caused their death, the two sons of Aaron. And the Eirachayim, the Eirachayim HaKadosh, from the great commentaries, the Pumash says that why did the two sons of Aaron die? Because they attained this tremendous, tremendous level of connection to Hashem. They were so inspired and so uh, enthused that their neshamas left their body. And that's called the, the cause of the death of Kleis HaNefesh. One, was, one is in such a tremendous level of spiritual uh, desire and longing and connecting to Hashem that the Neshama actually left their body. And Hasidus brings this explanation of the Rechaim many times. This is called the death of Klois HaNefesh. It's interesting. I've mentioned before that the Baal Shem Tev, sometimes before he started davening in the morning, he bid his family farewell. He said he doesn't know when he's davening if his Neshama will be able to stay in his body, coming close to Hashem. And the Baal Tov said that every time after a person davens, he's still alive, it's a nace. Because here the Neshama is in such a state of inspiration, the Neshama wants to leave. How am I? <laughs> <laughs> Not to the extent, but... Right. Some people feel every time that after davening, if they, stay, if they stay awake, it's a nace. It's right. you know, different Madrigas. <laughs> but the point is that the... There's a change. <laughs> I met someone at a seminar that I went to tell the Torah with yesterday, and this guy... He says, well, sometimes I go to B'nai Rubain, different shuls. So most people go to talk to, to God, but I go to talk to the people and disturb them. <laughs> so I hope, I hope you took care of that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you'll never change from when we were kids. <laughs> and the point, is, the point is that Aaron's two sons were tremendous tzaddikim. And they were in such a, their, their neshama reached this level of what we call total bittel, total... Um, um, nullification to Hashem, to the extent it left their bodies. Now, although that's a very tremendous madriga, very, very high, but we know that that's not the tachlis, that's not the, the goal. The goal is not that we should uh, reach a level of spiritual uh, elevation, that we for, that we leave this physical world, because Hashem created a physical world for us to be here. He created us to be human beings, and physically human beings. So therefore, whenever there's a state of spiritual going up, so to speak, really we have to make sure to come back down. And that's the concept of acharimus shnei b'nei aram. There's a concept of, it's, it's good sometimes to be spiritually excited and inspired and pick ourselves up, but the idea is achari, what happens afterward? And the same is with davening. Davening is this, is this it should be an intense spiritual time, and a time of spiritual elevation, but the idea is to come back down and bring that down into the rest of the day. And that's why we spoke about, from the Zohar, that davening is compared to the latter. Right, the, the Torah tells us about the ladder of Yaakov's dream. That Yaakov dreams, uh, There's this ladder that's standing on the ground, 
Roshay Magia Hashemayim as head is in the heavens. Vihine Malachi Elokim Oilim Viyordim Boy. Malachim are ascending and descending the ladder. So the Sfarim say that davening is the ladder to ascend, but also to descend. That on the one hand, in davening, we're, we're picking ourselves up and trying to be more connected and more spiritual and more in tune with our neshama and with Hashem. But the point of davening is not just to go to the top of the ladder, but to bring that back down into the rest of the day. And really that is till Shmon Asrei and after Shmon Asrei. Until Shmon Asrei, we're working upward. And that's the whole the steps of davening. We spoke a long time different, over the months about the different steps of davening and the different worlds that we're ascending. We talked about the concept of just submission and then understanding and then love and fear. Until Shmona Esri. Shmona Esri is the highest form of bittel where one is nullified before Hashem. After Shmona Esri is really about turning around and coming back down. Um, many people are quick about after Shmona Esri because after all, you know, people don't have a lot of time. And, you know, we daven until Shmanesre, we're happy with that. Many times, with, you know, the pages after Shmanesre, we sort of, you know, skim through. You know, everything is uh, time allowing. But the truth is that the, the part, part of davening after Shmanesre is a very significant part of davening. And it's bringing that um, inspiration back down into the world with us. Um, those who remember davening with the Rebbe's minion, it's very interesting that the Rebbe, after Shmanesre's davening was much slower than until Shmanesre. It was, it was longer, it was slower, it was very step-by-step. Step. Um, and the Rebbe didn't explain why, but Kabbalistically, the after Shmon Esrei is bringing the spiritual um, heights of davening and bringing it down with us for the rest of the day. And that's where we begin tonight, this section that's after Shmon Esrei. Now, do you say every day this part? So, which part are you referring to? Um... Like, I know there's certain... Right, so there, there's... Right, so we'll go through that. I mean, okay. the fir- the very first section is called Tachanun. Tachanun, which is really like a, like a verbal confession of Averis. That we say basically every day, aside from days that we don't say Tachanun. Which days do we not say Tachanun? Rosh Chodesh. Shabbos, Yom Tov, Rosh Chodesh. Um, the month of Nisan, the entire month. Um, and some special dates. You know, some special, it's you don't see Tachnon. Some Hasidish Yamun Taitan. Chalamayid, no Tachnon. If there's a Chasam and Kala, the week of the Sheva Brachas and Shul, you don't say Tachnon. Because if it's sad, is that why? Because that's primarily, yeah. Because it's sad, it's about sins and so on. So on happy days, we don't say it. Or if there's the Mayal or something. If there's a Mayal making a bris in the Shul, there's a bris that morning. Interestingly, in the house of Shiva, we don't say Tachnon. Even though typically we don't say Tachan because of happy times, here in the house of Shiva, for different reasons that are brought, Kabbalistic and other, because we don't want to bring in more severities into the home, or because of the neshama of the deceased that is that is giving protection. But in the house of Shiva, we, don't, we also don't say Tachan. But aside from that, on a regular day, we'll say the Tachan. But then in Tisha B'Av, interestingly, there's no Tachan. Another interesting thing, because Tisha B'Av is going to be a holiday, Yom Tov Mashiach comes, so we already... Begin that now. So it's very interesting about the Tachnon. But within the Tachnon, and we'll get to that, there's a section that we only say on Monday and Thursday. And that's the section that starts in the beginning of page 33, Vahu Um That's a number of pages long. Because that's when you lay. 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, into the middle of 68. That's a lengthy section. 
And we only say that on Mondays and Thursdays. That are the days that we lean as well. And Monday and Thursday is considered days that are more rachamim. Days that, that, that we can daven more and get more. Um, interestingly, it says that when... So, say so we say the v'hurachum <laughs> section on Monday and Thursday. Um, it's a powerful section, a very beautiful section. Um, interestingly, it's brought that when Moshe Rabbeinu ascended Har Sinai, in order to get the uh, atonement for the Jewish people, he went up on a Monday and came down on a Thursday. And that, uh, that shows, that's connected to this idea that there are days of special mercy and there are the days we read the Torah. So therefore there's the section that we only say on Monday and Thursday. But again, as we, as we go through it piece by piece, I'll point out what we say and when. Okay? So, the, we start the first, um, the first paragraph that says we ask Hashem to listen to our tefillahs. And then we say the Ashamnu. Right? Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu. That is the basic um, confess, confession. When a person says that we've sinned, that we've transgressed. Um, and that you'll, is familiar also from Yom Kippur, right? On Yom Kippur, whenever we do the al we'll also say the Ashamnu first. Ashamnu is the basic tefillah of confession. Now, and we say it by Kriyashma Shalomita, that's correct. That's, that's correct. Um, a couple of notes about Ashamnu. First of all, it's interesting that it's all in plural form. Right? We sinned, we transgressed. We spoke a nonsense. We stole whatever we say. Um, we're saying in a plural form, and the question is why? Yeah. If a, if a person is confessing, it would seem that a person should take a responsibility on their own. And here we're saying we we did this avera, we did that avera, we did that avera. Why are we saying our confessions nafka in plural form? So there's a very interesting explanation in Hasidus. And that is that it really comes with, with asking another question first, which is, why do tzaddikim say this? If you have a real tzaddik, who doesn't sin? Bamas doesn't sin. The great tzaddikim, the Arizal, other great tzaddikim. Why are they saying we sinned and we stole and we spoke silliness and we were frivolous and we were dishonest? It's not true. Because if one does it, it just goes better. Who's, who's going to... Who's gonna, like the rebel would never um, not, say it. not say it. Right. Because the people who are on such a high level, they, they feel that there's plenty wrong with them and that they're up oh, So that's one, that's one answer. But Hasidus gives a different answer. Hasidus says that that's because there is a concept that all Klal Yisrael, all people, even though on the one hand we're all individual people, on the other hand we all form one collective whole. All of our neshamas form one collective whole. Like one person. It says that all the neshamas of all the Eden is like one big body of neshamas. And that's why it says, what's a Rebbe, what's a Tzadik? The word Rebbe itself is Rosh, like the head of the body of the neshamas. But all of us are one neshama. Therefore, when one person sins, it affects negatively everyone. So it's not as if, like, I'm in my own world. Like, I, like, I didn't sin. That person sinned. What does it have to do with me? That person didn't have it. It doesn't have anything to do with me. That is because we see ourselves as one collective body. So the sins of one scars and affects another yud also. Affects them and makes that their, their avayda can't be so complete. And therefore, even a great tzaddik says, I sinned and I stole. Maybe that tzaddik individually didn't. But as part of Kali Yisrael, he did. Interestingly, that works for avayras, that works for mitzvahs also. The mitzvah of one affects another. If you remember way back in Davening, we said... L'shem yichud kutsha brichu, u'shchinte, 
right? We say that we do the mitzvahs for the sake of connecting. B'shem kol Yisrael. I'm saying this in the name of all Jewish people. Who may be the shliach of all the Jewish people to say it? But that's also because of the his'achtus, because of the oneness of Klal Yisrael. So therefore, the mitzvahs of one affect another. And that's why the whole concept, someone's chas v'shalom sick. So I'll do an extra mitzvah, I'll give extra tzedakah, I'll do something. What's the connection? I'm doing a mitzvah, that person is sick, what's the connection? The answer is it's very connected, because we're one neshama. And the same thing is with Averis, that the Averis of one can affect the other. A, a person might suffer, a community might suffer, because one person did an Averis. So therefore we say, Ashamnu Bagadnu, we don't just talk about myself individually, we say the sins are collective, whether I've done one or not, I, I'm still, that sin is affecting me, and Shuba has to be done for it. That's one explanation given. It's interesting that the Ashamnu Bagadnu is written in, the, in Aleph Beis. Yeah. Notice, right? Ashamnu Bagadnu is Aleph Beis, Gimel Dalet, Hevinu, Vihirshanu, Hevav, Zayin, Ches. Why is that? Why is the Ashamnu written in Aleph Beis form? And interestingly, the bigger confession that we say on, on Yom Kippur, the al is also an Aleph Beis form. Right? If you follow the al on Yom Kippur, it's also two Alephs, two Beis, two Gimel, two Dalet. What's the reason for that? Why is it that Ashamnus are an Aleph Beis and al are an Aleph Beis? Is it just someone's trying to wax poetic? I mean, most of our sitters are not Aleph Beis. So why is it when it comes to the confessions, it's with Aleph Beis? I'm sorry? The Vav is Veyershanu. There's no Vav. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good point. Good point. <laughs> saying the letter Vav is just and. That's the word really uh-huh. is Hirshanu, but they says Veyershanu. You see how important it was to them to have all the olive base. That even if it doesn't really have to have a Vav, they put in the Vav for the olive base. So the question is why? And obviously Davening wasn't written by small people. Three Tufts. And there's three Tufts at the end. Right? So what's the reason... Why the Ashamnu? What's the reason why the Ashamnu is an olive base, not chid is an olive base? And it's a very interesting idea, which really leads into another question, which is why? What, why is it so significant? Verbal confession. Why is that a significant part of teshuva? After all, teshuva is primarily in the heart. If a person, you know, the, we talked about it in the past, teshuva is repentance. What is what's the most important step of repentance? The most, what's the most, the single most important ingredient to do tshuva is resolve, Kabbalah. That I resolve to change my ways. Till now I did something, now Kabbalah, I accept it by myself. No, that's not the, the most important thing. The Alter Rebbe says in Tanya very powerfully, famously, he says that mitzvah satshuva min hi azivas hachet bilvad. Leaving the sin, changing my ways. That's number one. What's the second most important thing after the resolve to change is charata, which means regret. It's not only important to resolve to change, it's also important to regret my previous actions. Really, if one doesn't regret what they've done, they're not really going to change. I don't feel badly for what I did. Why should I change? So in addition to resolve to change, there is regret for what I've done. But together with regret, there's something called vidui, which means to verbally confess. And here the question is, why is that so important? If I regret it in my heart, so in my heart I really regret what I did, why is it also important for me to say verbally, I stole, I lied, I said Lashon Hora, 
Why is that verbal thing so You're important? Up to it. But so I, I did it in my heart. Not, I'm not talking to another person. I'm talking to Hashem. So in my heart, I feel bad for what I did. Right. Like, what? I feel like it's more physical. It's more. Um, um, it's it's more of an action than just saying it in my heart. And that's correct. It brings it yeah. down. It brings it down to the, the the level of the physical. But again, the question is, and why is that so important? Right. Why is that? So, the Tzamach Tzedek writes, he has a whole mimer in it, and he writes something very, very interesting. And he says like this, <coughs> he says, you know, children know, when a person does a mitzvah, you create a good malach. When a person does an avera, you create a bad malach. A bad, a bad malach, a bad angel, a bad, a spiritual bad force. Our, we believe that our actions have a lot of power, spiritually. A mitzvah creates positive force in this world, a positive malach, something that helps me in my avayda. And averas create negative forces and negative powers and things that pull us down. Now, when a person does tshuva, so there's really two parts of tshuva. One part is, I have to reconnect to Hashem. I transgressed, I disconnected, I have to reconnect. That's part one. But there's another part that's a little more difficult. I have to get rid of the negative malachim that I created. Right? I, have to, I created bad forces. There's bad malachim there. There's malachim that are going to hurt me one day or today. And when I do tshuva, it's not enough just to reconnect to Hashem. I have to, like, literally kill or destroy the bad malachim that my, that my, that my averus made. How is that done? What part of tshuva removes the badness that I created? So that's regret. What's the concept of regret? Regret is, when I did this sin, why did I do it? Because I, I wanted to do it. I had a desire to do it. Regret is the opposite. I'm regretting that desire. I'm taking back. Now I feel bad that I did it. So the regret is, takes away the desire. So the Samachsedek says something very interesting. He says, everything in this world has body and soul. A person has a body and soul. An animal has a body and soul. Even a tree has the physical part of the tree and the life of the tree. The malachim that we create also have body and soul. If a person did an avera, so he created a bad, an unholy malach. That malach is made up of a body and soul. Which part of the avera creates the body and which part of the Avera creates the soul? I'm sorry for being technical, but this is how the Tzavah explains it. He says, Which part of his Avera created the body of the bad Malach, and which created the soul of the bad Malach? So he says, think about it. Every Avera has two parts. There's the act of the Avera, and there is the, the desire that caused me to do the Avera. Why would one do something? There's a negative desire. So there's the desire and there's the action. Any avera that's done has the desire and the act. Mm -hmm. The desire creates the soul of the malach and the act creates the body of the malach. Just like, think about it, desire and action is like the body and soul of an act. Right? When I do something, so there's my desire, that's the soul of my act, and then there is the act. That's the body of the act. So the bad malach is created, the negative desire creates the soul of the bad malach. And the negative action creates the body of the bad malach. Now when a person wants to do tshuva, so he wants to destroy 
the body and the soul of the Malach. What two parts of Shuvah is the destruction of the body and the soul? The regret is the destruction of the soul of the Malach. And the verbal confection, confession, which is more physical, that destroys the body of the bad Malach. In other words, every part of Shuvah has a certain thing, that, a certain function that it serves. Really, just to, just to summarize, there's three parts. The resolve to do better, that's reconnecting to Hashem. That's part one. An Avera disconnected me. I resolve to change that connects. But now I have to get rid of the bad mala. So the regret takes away the soul of the bad mala. And the verbal confession takes away the body of the bad mala. And ultimately, a Yid has the ability through Tshuva to totally remove the bad mala. That's the power of Tshuva. Tshuva is perhaps the most powerful of all the mitzvahs that we have. Because Tshuva is a mitzvah that has the ability to erase something that happened a long time ago. Right? Most mitzvahs that we do are, are now. I'm doing it right now. Tshuva is a mitzvah that has retroactive power. I'm doing Tshuva today for something I did yesterday or last week or last year. So Tshuva is a very, very powerful um, mitzvah, but it, but it has to be done right. And that's why it has to have all of these three parts. It has to have the resolve to reconnect to Hashem, the regret to remove the soul of the bad malach that was created by the negative desire, and the the verbal um, confession in order to remove the body of the bad malach, which is created by the physical action of the other. How many times do you say Hashem every day? You say it in Good question. We say it in Shachris, in Mimcha, and in Kriyash Masha'alamita. On a day when we say Tachnin. On a day that we don't say Tachnin, we don't say it at all. But on a regular day that we say Tachnin, we would say it three times. After Shachris, after Mincha, and after um, and by Kriyasma at night. Now, how does all this relate to why does the Hashamnu have all the letters? Right? We said it's Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Hashamnu, Bagad, Nurgazal, Nudibarnu. Why is it so important when it comes to confession that it's in all the letters? So it says something very interesting. Because really, the way we speak is based on letters. Right? We speak with words. And those words are made up of letters. And really, the way we think is also with letters. Because when we think, we're not thinking in the abstract, we think in language. So we're again thinking with letters. So any negative words or negative thoughts created negative malachim. So when, when, when we're confessing, we want to clean all of our words and all of our thoughts. And that's why we use every letter. Because by using every letter, we're bringing the tshuva into all the different types of letters that went into any words that we said or any thoughts that we said, a thought, anything that was negative, through a proper tshuva, we're able to erase them and we're able to turn them around to good. But that's, it's, it's, it's important to, to understand that there's this major difference between mitzvahs that we do and avayers that we do. And that is that mitzvahs can never be taken back. If a person did a mitzvah that's a union that's connected to Hashem, that's forever. But avayers are erased through tshuva. So therefore, a person can say, I'm, I'm however old I am, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever it is. A person might say, well, Baruch Hashem, I have so many mitzvahs accumulated through my life. That's beautiful. The person says, yeah, but there's so many Averis too. The answer is it's very different. The mitzvahs accumulate. Averis, we do tshuva and we wipe, the, we wipe it, we wipe it uh, clean. And that's a very big difference. It's, it's not an even playing field. Hashem's the, a benevolent dictator. For sure. No, because... No, that makes that that helps us understand the whole thing about coming of Mashiach. Because 
Hashem, the Rebbe says so many times, we're holding Atat Mashiach. Why? Because so many, so many years of mitzvahs, all the years of our mitzvahs, all our parents and grandparents. So it comes along with cynic and says, yeah, but there's also so many years of Averis. As many years of mitzvahs as years of Averis. Why are we closer to Mashiach? Says the Rebbe, no. Because the Averis came Yom Kippur, came Kriyashma Shalomita, came a time of, of uh, awakening a person did Shuva, and he removed it. So we don't have so many years of Averis behind us because Averis, you know, it's chuba, 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 chuba. Keeps on wiping them away. Mitzvahs keep on building. That's why, even though when you look outside in the world, you don't always notice the Mashiach is coming tomorrow. But tzaddikim who see things the way they are see the buildup of kedusha in a world from thousands of years. Whereas klipa, there isn't that buildup because shuva has the power to wipe it away. So that's the first thing we do after shemunesrei is we go through the ashamnu and we take care of if there's a virus left over that um, <coughs> that we take care of. That's the first step. The next important point we have is in the middle of page 72. Um, there's two... 62, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... I thought I was dominating, so I started skipping already. So <laughs> we're in the middle of page 62. Um, there's two and a half lines there. V'yavar Hashem al-Pana v'yikra Hashem Hashem keil rachum v'chanun erach apayim v'chesed v'emes Right? This is a very holy part of davening, and this is called the Yud Gimel Midos Harachamim, the thirteen measures of Hashem's benevolence of Hashem's Rachmanus. Um, this is considered so holy; these two lines that we don't say it unless we're with a minion, right? Just like Kaddish or Kedusha or Baruchu. There are those parts of davening that are called a Davar Kedusha. There's something of extreme holiness. Um, and those parts of davening, we don't say them unless you have a minion. So this is an example of that. These two lines we'll only say with the minion. These are the most powerful midas of Hashem's Rachmanus, where all atonement comes from. Um, in the Torah, where do we have this? This comes after the story of the Egel. Right after the story of the Egel, where we have this cardinal sin right after Matan Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Hashem. And he uses these lines. Hashem initially says he's going to destroy, destroy the Jewish people. After the story of the eagle. And Moshe Rabbeinu uses these lines. Um, and these are the lines that save Klal Yisrael then. And Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu the secret. He says, whenever my anger is aroused, use these lines. And this is the sure way to reach the Kapara. It's in we say it in Slichas a lot and in Yom Kippur a lot. I think you say Hashem, Hashem, also Yom Tov. And, you know, when we take out, the, when we take out the Sefer Torah, that's yeah. correct. And the time when we say it the most times in succession is in Ni'ila, right. the holiest of all the dominings of Yom Kippur. And there again and again, Hashem, Hashem, because this is the most powerful Koyach of Atonement. Um, it's called the Yud Gimel Midas Rachmim, and they come from the very highest levels within Hashem Himself. In, in Kabbalah, there's a lot about this. Interestingly, and, and I can get into it, but interestingly, um, Kabbalistically, every different part of Hashem is related to a part of our body, because the human body is created, as the Pasuk says, in the form of Hashem, which means that the way we are, Hashem obviously doesn't have a body, and there's nothing physical about Hashem, but somehow a lot of parts of us reflect certain madrigas in Hashem. What part of the human body reflects the Yud Gimelmidus Arachamim? The 13 principles, it says, is the beard. The beard that a man has, which is the reason why Kabbalistically, 
a man grows his beard. Right? Even though in strict halacha, there's ways that a person can trim, shave, you know, different ways. Um, but Kabbalistically, the beard is something that's very, very holy and is a source for bracha. Um, there's so many names here, Hashem, Kel. Right. There's 13 different names of Hashem, really. But I, oh, I thought each name represents a different part of the body. No, no, no. These that? names are 13 different uh, parts of Hashem's racham. And that is really 13 hears within the beard. And here we have something interesting that most people don't know, which is that although we talk about the beard being something very important Kabbalistically, really it's not the whole beard. It's just 13 hears. But how, how can you figure out But you can't figure out which they are because most of us are not on that level. But it does say that the Arizal had a Talmud who was such a great Tzaddik, that he knew which hears. He was able to feel which are the ones. So he really trimmed around them. He just kept those 13. <laughs> Because those 13 are the ones that are the source of bracha. But, but we know many times the Rebbe advised people, he said we were having problems with parnasa, whatever, he said that the husband should grow a beard and that would be a bracha for the family because that's where the rachamim comes from in the person. So that's, a, that's something that, that um, when, when we finished the Shman Esrei and then we said the, the Ashamnu, so we talked about confessing, so then we finished with this idea of the Yud Gimel Rachamim. Um, of the 13 measures of Hashem's, of Hashem's benevolence. Okay, then we have the last part on page 62, which is really a, it's a chapter of Tehillim. L'david yilecha Hashem nafshi esa, that's chapter 25 of Tehillim. Um, it's a, it was written by David HaMelech, and it talks about my, my neshama, that I want to bring closer to Hashem. And interestingly, if you're peeking into the men's side of the shul, how do men say this Paragraph. They put their head on their arm, and they say it in in the Talmudic um, words. Your arm on a table. Yeah, like this. Right. Like this, and that's called nefilas apayim. Literally means when we when our the face falls down falls, and that's a um, it's just a sign of of uh, of bittel of uh, of humility of humbleness like we're falling before Hashem. Like it says by, by Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, Vayipol, upon of Arza, it says in different times when Moshe Rabbeinu had to daven for the Jewish people, it says that he fell on his face. Why so, this one? Is there a reason why this So here, it's, just, it's after Shman Esrei, it's after the Ashamnu, this is the point where this is done. How that's connected specifically with this Mizmar Tehillim, I don't know. I'm sure there was something. Um, but that's a final step in our davening. In, in after again we did Shmon Esrei and now we did the Tachanun and we said the Yudgum Yisarachamim we say now this one chapter of Tehillim but we say it with our head and our hand interestingly it's only done if you're davening in a shul where there is an Aron Kodesh where there's a Sefer Torah because this concept of Nefila Sapayim of a person falling putting their head down for Hashem is only said in such a place where there is a um, again, where there's a Sefer Torah not necessarily. It doesn't need a minion, but it needs a safer term. Wow. And that's the difference. The, the paragraph right before, which was the Yud Gimel Midas Harachamim, that requires a minion. Right. doesn't require a safer term. But this paragraph, which is the Nefila Sapayim, when we, when we put our head on our hand and we daven this paragraph of Tehillim, that is specifically when there's a safer term. And if you daven in a place where there's no safer term, then you just sit down and you say it, but you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't put your head on your hand. That brings us to the bottom of page 62. Now, the top of page 63 begins that section that is special only for Monday and Thursday, like we mentioned earlier. And that's our, the big words over here, Vuhu Rachum, 
And it's a lengthy section, really. It's page 63, all the way till the middle of page 68. Um, so it takes, you know, maybe it takes uh, sometime, anywhere between five and 10 minutes. Um, and it's a very beautiful part of davening. And really, it's, it's really asking Hashem for Rachmanus. And it talks a lot about Golos and the difficulties of Golos and the pains of Golos and the need for Geula. And Hashem should see our trials and tribulations throughout Golos. And there's different um, opinions historically of who wrote this. Because it's a very moving piece. And it clearly comes from um, people or, or situation where there was a very strong Golos. Very, it's, it's an exa, it's a tefillah really asking for geula from Golos. And we say it again on Monday and Thursday, which are days that are more connected to Rachamim, Tashem's mercy. Um, according to... Do you say sitting? No, standing. Standing, standing yeah. It's not like a, a, a but right, okay. typically it is said standing. It is said standing. According to one, um, uh, one um, historical perspective, who wrote this is interesting. It says when the second base Amikdash was destroyed, so the the um, the emperor of Rome, who had the base Amikdash destroyed, was um, Vespasian, and the in Talmud is called Aspasionus. He was the emperor. And the Roman, the general was Titus, Titus, but the uh, the emperor was Aspasianus or Vespasian, and he was a terrible man, a very cruel man, and he killed so many Jews. But one of the things he did, it says, he took three huge boats, and he filled them up with Jew with Yidin, and he sent it off into the sea without any oars or ability to do anything, basically sending them to their death. He had three big boats and he just filled them up with, I don't know, hundreds of Yidin and he sent it off into the big sea without any ability for them to do anything. As far as he was concerned, that was the way he was putting them to death. Miraculously, those boats wandered in the seas and each, they arrived in France and each in a different port, each in a different place and they became communities. They became French communities. We're talking about, we're talking about almost 2,000 years ago. They became from the earliest French communities. Existed. Yeah. Now, they were, you know, you can imagine many people died on the way and they came with nothing and they had to start, you know, the Tsarists. But finally, when they arrived in their destinations, the people there accepted them decently. You know, it wasn't, uh, probably wasn't America, but, but they, were, they were accepted okay. They, until a generation later, you had some very anti-Semitic rulers that rose up and they started giving them Xerus and different uh, uh, decrees against them and against the communities. So once again, they were thrown into the Tsaras of Golas. So the leaders of those communities wrote this Vuhurach. This Vuhurach, here you have people who suffered through the destruction. And then they were sent off into the sea to die. And then miraculously they were saved. And now a generation later again, they're being persecuted. So they wrote this Vuhurach. That's uh, what I was, re- I was reading in a Sefer today. That's one of the... There's, the, there's another opinion I saw that it was even that they were sentenced to be burned. So miraculously, they weren't burned. But it, it clearly, when you read these, they're, they're very, these are very um, soulful. And you could tell it's, it's talking about the difficulties of Golos. 
you know, Habit Mishmayim and look at the difficulties and look how we're a mockery amongst the nations. And nevertheless, we didn't forget you. And Hashem, please listen to our voice. And constantly, we're saying we, even though no, no matter what happens, we didn't forget you. We're asking for Hashem to guard us where we are and to, to watch over us and to ultimately, ultimately, ultimately to bring us back to Eretz Yisrael. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, but that's the again, that's the the tefillah that we add on Monday and Thursdays, and that again goes until page sixty-eight, where it says after like the third paragraph, Hashem has this rachamim, this uh, mercy for us, and He listens to our supplication. Please watch over our generation. We're a poor generation. In Israel, we have no one else who will help us. Right? And if you see here, you have in small uh, letters, Ad kan Until here is what we add on Monday and Thursday. Right? Now, we go to the Avinu Malkeinu and the Vanachnu Loineida, which is the last two paragraphs of Tachnu. So again, not, this we say every day. Avinu Malkeinu. Then Vanachnu Lerim is the end of that section called Tachnu. And this we say every day of the week, not just on Monday and Thursday. But there's a long Avinu Malkeinu for Tanner. That's only on a fast That's on a fast day. For Rosh Hashanah. Very well. That's either on a fast day right. or on the Aserah Simei So then in the place of this small Avinu Malkeinu, we would say the long Avinu Malkeinu, which is much later in the Siddur. Um, and that goes through all the different Avinu Malkeinus. You know, the famous question they ask, how many Avinu Malkeinus are there? There's only one. <laughs> but on that on, on the fast day we say oh, that whole long it's list funny. of the, some 30 something of Vinu Malkanis right? I'll have to tell that to my older anecdote it's like a, a trick yeah it's like a riddle yeah uh-huh. interestingly how do we start this final paragraph of the Tachnon Vanachnu Loneida Manasa what does that mean we don't know what to do Ki Allah our eyes are to you what are we saying so it's brought down interesting. We're saying like this. We've davened in every way we could. We said the whole davening, you know, the Birchas Kriya Shema, and the Pesukit Zimra, and Shema, and Shema Esrei. Now we've said Tachanun. Now we've already said even the Filas We've So we've davened sitting, we've davened standing, we've davened on our head. We've done everything we can, and now it's up to you, Hashem, to respond to us. And that's really, it's very interesting. It's the only time we say this in our davening. We say, Hashem, we, we tried all our ways. We, we did all the different things that we can. Now we're just, our eyes are to you. Remember your mercy, remember your kindness, and, and, and help us and, and answer our tefillahs. And with this, we end that section called Tachnon. Um, so again, on a day that you don't, let's say it's Rosh Chodesh, so this, we don't say any of this. From Shimon Esrei till here, we say nothing. None of this, because all of this is the Tachnon. Rosh Chodesh, Shabbos, Yom Tev, right? Um, you, you know, Yutes Kislev, Chas and Kala, we don't say any of the Tachnon. But this would be the end of Tachnon on a regular day. At this point, on Monday and Thursday, we, lay, we read the Torah. Right? And that's what this next page, 69 and 70, is devoted to Kriya Satera. Obviously only in a shul, only when there's a minion. But that is every week, on Monday and Thursday, we read the Torah. Um, the Takana Ezra um, made that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, made that uh, rule that we should read the Torah on Monday and Thursday. Why specifically Monday and Thursday? 
so that we should never go three days without reading the Torah. Like you can't go without water. Right, just That's like right, very good, very good. Uh-huh. Just like you can't go without water three days. So, because you read the Torah on a Shabbos, so on Sunday, no reading. Monday, you read again. Tuesday, Wednesday, no. Thursday, yes. Friday, no. So there's never more than a two-day interval where we don't read the Torah. Again, if we're davening in a shul with a minion, but that was a takana from Moshe Rabbeinu and then to Ezra Sofer, fine-tuned it. Um, and that's what we do in every shul on Monday and Thursday. We'll read the Torah. But if it's not Monday and Thursday, then we move to page 71. Which is Ashra. <coughs> right? So really, I, I, I'm, I'm not being repetitious, but really from 61 until 71. On 61, we finish the Shemona Esri. So let's, let's say on a day that there's no Tachnon and there's no Kriya Torah, we go straight from the end of Shemona Esri to 71, to the Ashri. Um, if we do say Tachnon, we say Tachnon. If it's also Monday, Thursday, we say the Vuhurachon. Otherwise, the next step of davening after the Shmon Esrei, then there's Tachanun, then there's Ashrei. Of course, the question is, why are we saying Ashrei now? We already said Ashrei. Right? Way back when in davening. Ashrei, you'll recall, was the center of what we called Psuke de Zimra. Right? Because we talk so much about that, that Psuke de Zimra has a bracha before, was the Baruch Sha'amar, a bracha at the end, which was the Yishtabach, and the Ashrei in the middle. And Ashrei is the center. Um, you remember we talked about Poseach Es Yodecha, saying Ashrei, it's having Kavana. So why are we saying Ashrei again at this point in Davani? And there's two answers given. There's probably more, but two answers that I'll say now. One answer is interesting. And that is the Gemara says, based on the Medrash, that any person who makes sure to say Ashrei three times a day, will definitely go to Olam Abba. There's something about the power of Ashrei. Ashrei, you'll remember, is the 145th chapter of Tehillim, Kuf Memhei. And Ashrei is a very special tefillah. And therefore, there's a special union to make sure to say Ashrei three times a day. You know, there's some... Say that about Olam Abba? I'm sorry? Where does it say? With Olam Abba? Um, it's the, the Gemara says it in the name of a Medrash. I remember the exact source. Kol ha'omer tehila ledavid shalosh pa'amim b'yom. Tehila ledavid is the first words of the second pasuk of Ashrei. Tehila ledavid, right? So kol ha'omer tehila ledavid shalosh gimel pa'am b'yom. Muftach can be certain that it'll be a ben olam haba. So where do we say Ashrei three times throughout the day? Once in the Pesukei de Zimra. Number two over here. And number three, Mincha. Beginning of Mincha is Ashrei. That way we're covered that we said Ashrei three times a day. Same thing. <laughs> what? Is it too, should I start? <laughs> For sure. So that's the three ashrays. Um, and that's what we do. Take, for example, on Shabbos. On Shabbos, we say one ashray in Shachris, Psukit Zimra, mm-hmm. the second right before Musaf, right. and the third before Mincha. So again, we always make sure that we say the three ashrays every day. And that's the simple reason why we have Ashrei at this point. Um, another reason, though, and why specifically here, is because, as I told you, we finished Monastery, we finished Tachnun. We're really getting ready for the end of Davening. What happens right after the end of Davening? What's the next step 
A person wakes up in the morning and we daven, and then we take care of Parnassah, what we need to do. So here we have to have a special bakasha for Hatzlacha in the Parnassah of the day. And the Ashley is so powerful. Remember, Poseach es yodecha umasbiya is that Pasuk that talks about Hashem giving us all of our sustenance and giving us all of our needs. And therefore, at this point, when again, we have Shman Esri behind us and we have, you know, Tachnan behind us and now we're sort of ending it and getting ready for after davening, so here we say the Ashrei, which with that central Pasuk of Pesach HaSyadecha, asking Hashem um, to see to it that the continuation of the day should be a day of bracha, and the Parnassah, whatever we need, Hashem should, fill, should take care of all our needs throughout the day. And that's another reason why we say the Ashrei a second time at this point here in davening. Um, one last thing, let's get in over here, and that's the next paragraph. Now, this is chapter 20 of Tehillim. And it's a famous chapter of Tehillim because it's a very powerful request for Hashem to be with us through all tzaras. Um, Typically, when we say Tehillim for someone or for a difficult situation or whatever situation it is, um, We'll say Perukhaf of Tehillim, number one. I mean, we might add, we might say also the chapter of the person who we're saying for. I'm sorry? You could say their birthday. We could say their birthday. We could say Kofi talk the letters of their name. But always, whenever you're going to say Tehillim, because for any state of Tzara, always, or almost always, Kapitul Chaf is going to be the first one you're going to say. Lama Sech, you know, it's a powerful um, Bakasha asking for Hashem to guard us and protect us. Now, interestingly, this paragraph we don't say on a day that we don't say tachnon. This is considered a tachanun paragraph. So though it's like right in the middle, but we don't say it. And if you'll notice, if we're looking at the same sitter, I think we all are, page 71, before this there's a small paragraph. There's a paragraph without like um, vowels. There the Alter Rebbe says all the dates that we don't say tachnon. That's where he put the list in the sitter, right before this paragraph. For reasons that are not clear to me why he put it here, not before the earlier Tachnon, but this is where he gives all the dates. And he goes through the whole year. And he says, what are the dates that we don't say Tachnon? In case you have a question, it's, this it's is where you find it. It's, it's a different place. They, they have it in English in there. Interesting. It's is there no place. note even where to look at, where to find it? Can I see it for a second? So. Can I see it for a second? See page 592. You're right. Oh, okay. So it says, it says here to look at 592, right. and here you'll have Tachanon, the list of the days. Exactly. So in this sitter, you don't have Yutes Kislev, because this is the Alter Rebbe's writing himself. Alter Rebbe uh-huh. didn't write that. He didn't <laughs> add the Hasidic Shiyam uh-huh. That came later. Okay? Um, I'll finish with one last interesting thought, and that is, it's written the following, that this chapter is chapter 20 of Tehillim, right? Now, really, it's brought down that chapter 1 and 2 of Tehillim is like one long chapter. Now, it's split up. At the end, it's split up. But it's, it's like this one chapter. So if chapter 1 and 2 is 1, so which chapter is this really? Your test. Your test, 19. Let's think about the significance of 19 at this point. We just finished the... Shmona Esrei, the 18 brachos. When we finish the 18 brachos, now Yamcha Hashem, Hashem should answer us for all of our tefillahs. 
So this is again, it's like chapter 19 that comes after the Yud Ches, the Shmona Esrei Brachas. So here we finish the Shmona Esrei, and again we finish Shmona Esrei, we finish Tachtun. Davening is sort of coming to an end. Now we're saying, Hashem, answer us for all of these tefillahs that we just davened together. And that's why it's chapter 19 at the end of the 18 Brachas of Tefillah.